guys, and welcome to the New Year edition of the Fights Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash, as ever, and, well, everyone else is handing, you know, doing the little, their awards things. I'm not knocking it. I might add out an award here or there, you know, tell you what my favourite fight was or whatever, if I can decide, before the end of the hour or whatever. But um, mostly I'm just going to talk about last year. It was a very good year for boxing, and I want to talk about a few things, you know, fights, fighters, I might even mention a referee here and there. Um, yeah, it's just going to be a little review of uh, what has turned out to be a very good year for boxing after an uncertain start. Um, yeah, let's get started, I guess. I think I'll uh, talk first about fighters, you know. Um, like I say, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to necessarily make a definitive decision about my fighter of the year, but um, there's quite a few notable um, notable performers, some of them more obvious than others, and I think that's why I'm going to avoid, um, avoid handing out the award award. I just, you know, there are going to be some lower level guys who are, they're not fighter of the year, but they're worth talking about, and maybe their story is just as uh, interesting, just as uh, their achievement is just as... Uh, worthwhile as uh, someone who's reached the pound for pound top um but uh, the first guy i mean the first guy to talk about really has to be um uh, this maybe gives a clue away um if i if i was going to give fighter of the year he only had one fight and he had to wait for it but um george cambosos you know that that, is the, that was the biggest achievement of this year it was a uh, he wasn't expected to do it he was, uh, like I say, he was uh, made to wait for it. He was played. He was um, Teofimo Lopez and uh, and Trilla just messed him around, messed him around. He uh, he came out. He talked Leo Teofimo Lopez into into a right old tizzy, and then he came out and did walk the walk as well. And uh, now he's made. You know, he's um his career is never going to be the same again. And uh, yeah, there's really no. Uh, no denying it was the you know surprise of the year. Like um you know if you did the odds maybe it wasn't the uh, biggest upset of the year, probably not. But um but out of uh, out of all the fights that uh, happened this year, or last year, um it was really uh, the one that came out of nowhere and the biggest sort of achievement considering where we thought Cambosis was at and. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go deep into what he did because I did that when it happened. But um, yeah, it was a wasn't just a random fluke. He he improved. You know, so you have to give him you have to give him its credit for that. And uh, yeah, that's got to be the first the first person I mention as a you know notable fighters from this year. Um, and moving on, we're going to talk about someone who um, some of my followers will already know that I quite rate. Um, some people will find this inclusion somewhat annoying um, because he is the most annoying man on boxing Twitter. I think I think he's going for that for that record. Um, but Sonny Edwards in the ring, he did his talking where you know he again he did he he talks outside the ring a lot. But, uh, he got in the ring and um, did what he needed to do. And what uh, what I'm talking about here really is his first fight of the year because he fought twice. The second one was. Um, as the mandatory, he was expected to win it against um, Jason Mama, but it's the first um, fight of the year with um, Maruti Mithilane, which, uh, yeah, he won his title in, and um, I mean, the reason I find it worth, you know, worth talking about at the end of the year is not just that he won a title, like lots of fighters won a title, but um, 
you know, we, we live in the Twitter sphere, at least some of us do, I do, and um, there was a lot of talk in the boxing circles, not just on Twitter, of uh, how the only two <clears throat> potential outcomes were Methelaine winning or Sunny Edwards undeservedly winning a home cook decision. And obviously, if anyone saw that fight, that's uh, absolutely not what happened. And, you know, you could talk about whether Methelaine, uh, you know, the grand old age of 39, whether he's... Uh, he is what he was, and you can say probably not, but nonetheless, you know, he came out, um, Sonny Edwards came out and uh, took on a fighter who hadn't lost for a very long time, and uh, only, uh, you know, he's been, he's been, a, he's been a high-level fighter all, all his career, he hadn't really been, you know, he, he hadn't really started to, he was, a, he was, he'd been slowing anyway, he's 39 obviously, but he was never a pace-reliant fighter, and, um, that means he was never a pacey fighter, and it was, I think it's quite possible that even if he was a lot closer to his prime, Edwards would have done the same, because um, when you're a fighter who who relies on, um, you know, closing distance and uh, getting in close, um, you are going to struggle with Sonny Edwards, it's just everyone, everyone who fights like that is going to have problems, and especially if you're not the fastest mover in the world and Edwards just he did what he needed to do I can blow my own horn a bit because um, just before the fight um, before my uh, unfortunate long term um, or six, several months absence of, from the from the internet due to moving issues you know all of you noticed I'm sure um, yeah I wrote, an, I wrote an article just before the fight um, saying you know Sonny Edwards has a legitimate shot of winning, and this is what he's going to do. And Edwards did pretty much everything I said he was going to, apart from... Well, no, he did everything I said he was going to, plus he did body shots, which uh, I didn't predict. But everything else that Edwards did in the, in the night, uh, I said he, I said that, that would, if he did that, he'd stand a good chance of winning, and it worked out as I did. So, toot, 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 blow my own horn, but really, credit to Sonny Edwards and, uh, and the team. Um, you know, that... Uh, well... Yeah, um, he came out, and the thing is, with well, Sonny Edwards, and what comes up when you talk about him, you know, well, always what comes up first is him on Twitter, but the second thing that comes up is not everyone likes an outboxer, and you know, he doesn't have much power, and uh, he does fight on the outside, but for someone who fights on the outside like he does, he he does throw high volume, so yeah, you're not going to get knockouts, and if you like that kind of thing, it's not going to be a thing, and I think the thing is, because he's not some massive pressure fighter, if he is outclassing an opponent, it is going to get, there is going to be a, become a rhythm in the fight that might not be for everyone, but nonetheless he's throwing a lot more punches than the typical outboxer, and yeah, just, I, I enjoy watching Sonny Edwards, and yeah, he had a good year in the ring, you know, it's uh, worth noting. Um, so, next up. And this is the guy I look. I don't like Canelo Alvarez. He, I find him irritating. But he is a magnificent boxer and he had another good, strong, solid year. Like, he didn't tear up any trees because he didn't have any trees to tear up. But, uh, yeah, he had a, he had a very solid year. He had his three fights, you know, and then yielded him. Not much of an opponent for Canelo at this stage, but, uh, he won that. And then he fought Billy J. Saunders and, well, I mean, this is the thing with Canelo. He's fighting at such a level now that uh, someone like Billy Joe Saunders and Caleb Plant, who'd be, for almost every other fighter on the planet, fighters of that quality would be considered, you know, not just a worthwhile opposition, but a serious challenge. And uh, in both fights, Canelo just kind of dominated. I mean, Plant did 
we, and we talked about this as well. I wrote, I wrote an article on this. Um, Plant did offer him some one or two looks that he wasn't maybe expecting, and um, he had to deal with them in a different way. But um, he dealt with them. That's also, you know, fighting out of type to deal with a problem is a is a rare skill. Very very hard to do, right? Because you have to fight against your own muscle memory and all of that shit. And um, the fact that Canelo was ready to do it, it just speaks speaks to his unbelievable preparation. Um, he's always so prepared nowadays. It's uh, it's I think that's really what makes him who he is. Like he's incredible in the ring. Thinking he's a thinking man. He's incredibly good technically as well. But um, how he prepares for fights is really notable. And um, you know he's always got the right game plan. And he his one against um, Saunders was a variation on the theme. I think this is the thing worth maybe bringing up if we're going to say something extra about Canelo this year. His performance against Saunders was a variation on the theme he'd already brought against Jacobs and Kovalev. And um, when he's fighting that kind of fight, you know, he's um, kind of Smith as well, where he's um, fighting someone, someone, especially the the first two, um, where he's fighting someone with a good jab and he has to get past that jab and and work his, uh, work his way in. And, well, this is the thing. He didn't necessarily need to work his way in for any long long term for any extensive time because against those fighters he felt he could you know just work his way past the jab quickly throw a quick exchange target the body which he you know he likes to do obviously and um and just keep wearing them wearing on them that way and keep them moving keep them moving and that's what he did against Saunders you know he Saunders is a fighter with a very good jab and some decent movement not a lot else and uh, that's what Canelo just sort of defaulted to a version of the same plan that he'd been doing before, which, you know. But against um, Plant, he did something very different. And again, I'm not going to go into huge depth about this, because if you want to see my thoughts on this, I wrote a whole article about it um, on the fight site. You can find it with the totally unpretentious title I gave it of... Um, the, what was it? Oh, damn, I have to have looked it up because I'm very clever. It's called The Rough with the Smooth, Canelo Ana Alvarez and The Art of Crudeness. Um, you know, and that's my take on the adjustments Canelo made to uh, win that. Well, he was—I think he was always going to win it, but to win it with the ease that he wanted. And uh, yeah, um, so obviously can't talk about Ken, can't can't talk about the best fighters of the year and not mention Canelo. So so we have um, the other one, obviously Alexander Usyk, because. He won his heavyweight title, beat Anthony Joshua, made a lot of the match from Massive Cry. I'm sorry if any of you listen to this. Um, Joshua had one of the best performances of his career. He wasn't sloppy. I mean, he was... He did what he could, and what he could do wasn't enough, and it wasn't uh, some random fluke bad performance by him. It was just Alexander Usyk is a better boxer than him. If he's going to beat him in the rematch, he's going to have to use his size better, and that doesn't mean going crude. Again, not going to do a breakdown, I'll do that if they fight again. But, um, yeah, Usyk uh, stepped off from Cruiser. People were a bit uncomfortable, you know, is he going to Is he gonna do uh, what he needs to? Um, times with the spin performance, and, uh, Chisora dinged him about a bit before Usyk eventually uh, took over. Joshua, you know, he didn't, it wasn't have it all his own way, but um, Usyk one comfortably let's just put it that way and uh, proved um, you know proved that he's a super heavyweight as well as a cruiserweight and then yeah and also he's just one of the best characters in boxing and you can't I mean, you are 
you are allowed not to love him, but uh, all the all the real boxing fans, and I don't, don't be silly, um, but we'll sneer at you. This is what I'm saying. If you don't like Alexander Utik, we're going to sneer at you. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. I'm sure you. I'm sure you can live with that. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a great lad. Um, speaking of great lads, man, this is going to go for a while. Um, <laughs> There's so much to talk about in boxing this year. Benito Donaire. This is just he's the king of. He's the. He, he's fantastic. He's what a guy, and you know he is continuing his career renaissance. It was a while, not it wasn't too, you know this was it. It wasn't even not too long ago. It was a few years ago that we thought that uh, Denier was done, and now he's um he's back at the top. You know um, you know it's five it's nearly six years ago now. Five years ago, during the course of last year, he, he lost to Jesse Magdaleno, and uh, we thought yeah he's done and um. After that, he sort of mooched around between one two five and uh, one two two, um, uh, one two six and one two two. Um, and then in two thousand eighteen, he dropped back down. He lost to Coughlampton at one two six. He dropped back down to uh, to join in the um, cruiserweight in the <laughs> cruiserweight. What am I talking about? The uh, bantamweight WS- WBSS tournament. And he kind of, you know, he fluked his way through, sort of. Uh, Ryan Burnett had to pull out with a back injury, and then um, Stefan Young was a replacement, I believe. Um, yeah, um, Zolani Tete, I think, if I recall correctly, um, couldn't take the fight, so Stefan Young stepped in, and he kind of mooshed his way through, and we thought, oh, he's going to get snorted by an Ohio anyway. And, I mean, he lost, and he deserved it, he lost, but, um, but he looked so much better than any of us expected him to in that fight. And then he had a two-year break, you never know how that's going to affect a person. Um, I'll say two years, it was a year and a half it's still, you never know how that's going to affect a guy at his age and he's come back, age 39 absolutely battered Nordino Bali around the rim and um, then um, stopped Romar Gabano rather simply as well um, yeah, um, if if you're a fan of boxing and Nanita Denier isn't one of your favourite fighters I just, I don't understand like it's the second time I'm scorning you but this one's a little bit more um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not you know, yeah, you like you who you like, but I just, I just wouldn't understand anyone who doesn't enjoy Nonito Donaire's career resurgence. It's just so cool. It's just you've got to love him. Um, yeah, and if he can get, <clears throat> if he can move on in twenty twenty two, and uh, maybe maybe he can unify the titles. Whisper it. You know, I don't think he's going to be anyway at this age. But um, yeah, let's let's go. Um, uh, one name I wanted to mention um, as well. Um, Women's boxing isn't my area of expertise. I don't talk about it too much. I, you know, don't don't really write about it. It's maybe something I need to work on as as the sport grows. So there'll be more to talk about. And the reason, let's put it this way, just throw it out there. The reason we don't talk about it much on on the fight site is um is because compared to currently compared to mixed martial arts, women's boxing is very shallow and it's it's just difficult to talk about because. The main fighters that you do know, your Katie Taylors and your um, Clarissa Shields and Amanda Serranos, you're there. Most of the time, they're fighting um, opponents who just really don't belong in the ring with them. Like they just haven't had the. This, it's very shallow, is what I'm saying. And except when the super fights happen, it's very difficult to build any kind of narrative and even really see talk about how good they are because it's just. The golfing class is far too big, um, but one time that did kind of bite someone on the ass was um, 
that I mean people there, there were people who said Alicia Baumgartner was going to have a chance of beating Terry Harper who was um, you know he's, she's the British fighter and the matchroom sort of Eddie Hearn sort of next promotional push and uh, I mean she had been out for a while um, but Baumgartner was sort of brought in as a you know this was meant to be a worthwhile fight it wasn't a complete pushover but um Baumgarten had been sort of brought in as Harper's returning from injury. She needs something that's going to test her, but not too much. And it turned out to be far too much. And Baumgartner has not dodged it; has just got herself a title. But um, I would say her personality and um, her ability to self-promote has probably won Eddie Hearn over because she's just announced um, that she signed for Matchroom herself. And yeah, she's going to have a interesting 2022. But yeah, she's going to be. This is the thing. The more this is good for women's boxing. Like, um, you know, it's it's easy to slate because it's such a shallow pool, and you can, t- you know, if you're a big, um, long-time boxing fan, or even just, you know, a hardcore boxing fan, and you watch, um, if you're watching the presentation of the fights, fight nights, and sometimes you're, you know, the skill level on display isn't necessarily matching what's being talked about by the hype. But you can't dismiss it because of that, because, um, you build, you build the skill, you build the talent pool as the sport has to grow. And, um, yeah, this, this, that's been happening the last few years and unexpectedly. And, um, even though, like I say, I'm not an expert in it, I don't follow it that strongly, but I'm glad to see it. And, um, seeing someone like Alicia Baumgartner, who isn't, who came out of nowhere, she's got a great story. Um, and she was, she's a fun fighter to watch and she came out and delivered a upset and, um, that kind of narrative. It's just, it's good. It's good for the sport. And look, some people, some old men in their caves are going to sneer that boxing should be a men's sport. Blah, 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 blah. The better women's boxing is, the better for boxing like, as a whole. So, Alicia Baumgartner, worth following. Watch her fight with um, Terry Harper if you haven't seen it. It's a you know strong upset. Harper didn't have her best performance ever. Um, I don't think she, I think she's moved up now. I think she complained about the cut and moved up. So that's you know. Mm, uh, hopefully, Bam Gardner gets a fight that she needs to prove. To shut up the people who are saying, "Oh no, it's just because Harper wasn't right. She's come back from injury, etc., etc., etc." Um, yeah, not sure that she's another one I want to talk about. Um, and you know, um, since I'm on, I mean, this was on a British card. She's not a British fighter. She's an American, but um, since I'm on British cards, I want to talk about uh, someone less. You know, less shiny. He's not a world class fighter or a world level fighter. He might be world class. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. But um, Troy Williamson, who had two wins this year, that he wasn't necessarily expected to win either, and um, both of them were pretty savage fights, I'd say. Like the first one back in April, he was fighting Kieran Smith, and that was his first sort of. This thing it wasn't even for a British uh, title at that point, but it was. I think it might have been an eliminator. In any case, it was, you know, that sort of level of... His first real taste of that sort of level of fight. He's been sort of mooching around for a few years. He's 30 years old, but he turned pro quite late in 2016. And he's kind of, you know, never really got the opportunity. And then this year, he got Kieran Smith. Um, wasn't expected to win that one. Um, he wasn't winning it. And then he turned it around uh, with... What you could describe, I mean, BoxRec Box describes it as a barrage of punches, and that's pretty accurate. And uh, then he got up in with Ted Cheeseman, who's always a fun fight. This is a fight you should watch. And it's one that annoyed me a little bit, because um, I think I... I may have wrote about this, I'm not sure. 
I was a little bit let down because the ring was slippery and both of them, but especially Cheeseman, kept falling over. And that did compromise what was an excellent fight. And I'll probably mention it in the uh, when I start talking about the fights of the year. But uh, yeah, um, again, Cheeseman in many ways is the tighter boxer than Troy Williamson, but he just couldn't handle the grit, the heart, and the uh, Williamson apparently for 154. For junior middleweight, has some pretty exceptional power, and he just keeps knocking Garcetti with it. You know, um, yeah. If you're British, you probably saw this one. If you're not, um, it's worth looking up. Um, and for Williamson, you know, I'm not. I'm not suggesting he's ever going to be. I don't even know if he'll ever be any kind of world champion because one five four is going to be a Shark Tank division pretty soon. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. So there will be world level fighters who don't win world titles. I'm not sure Williamson will ever be that. But he's just going to be fun to watch because he's so, so game and so uh, you know he's he's always in it. He's got that quality where no matter how, even if he's getting outboxed, he's confident. He's got the equalising power and he brought it in both his fights this year. And just for the fun fight, for the fun, you know, if you like a boy, you know, I talked about Sonny Edwards and not everyone likes um, the outboxing. Troy Williamson is the opposite of that. And if you haven't seen him fight, it's worth looking, looking up. Look up the fight versus Ted Cheeseman. Um, yeah, um, I think that will probably about cover it for me talking about fighters I wanted to mention. Um, okay, I'm going to wrap it up for talking about fighters for now. If, if someone pops into my head and I was like, shit, I should have written that down and mentioned him before, but then uh, I'll, you know, we're not being formal, I'll throw it in. But um, I'm going to move on to other things. Um, we'll get back to the biggest fights um, later. But to break it up a bit, I'm going to, you know, talk about a few things that caught my eye in between. And um, the first thing I want to talk about is, um, I want to talk about refereeing because there was one guy who I do want to give a shout out to is, um, because, you know, I've been, we've all been critical of him for years, uh, Russell Mora, um, you know, anyone who's been a fight, fight fan long enough remembers, uh, was it 2010, his uh, refereeing of uh, Abnamares versus Agbeko, where he just um, ignored all of Mara's uh, low blows and even scored a knockdown for a blatant shot right in the cup. Um, and you know he he you know credit where it's due straight away. He took time off after that. He didn't you know just oh yeah made a mistake. And then, you know in the ring afterwards he was like oh yeah I got it all right. But he took time off. He came back. He hasn't really you know he's been in high level fights. Um, never really caught the attention. I was very sceptical this year when he got given Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. But, um, yeah, I had to give him credit for that fight because, um, not only did he let them, you know, he didn't let the mess, he didn't let their, any the messing around go on. He let them fight. They were fighting in the clinch, but he didn't let it get filthy. Um, but what I wanted to really lord him for is, um, we knew that Deontay Wilder is an absolute fruit loop and had would have told his corner not to stop it under any circumstances. And we also knew that Mora didn't want to really kick off a controversy by stopping it too early, which would have been a risk. You know, you're thinking, oh yeah, this guy is um, taking too many chances, and you know, it could it could have happened. And the thing is, Wilder always looks bad, um, so. That was a risk. So um, what he did was he, he repeatedly just got the doctor in between rounds. He took an extra look at Wilder in between rounds and just made sure he was, you know, he wasn't okay. He was getting the shit beaten out of him. But uh, 
I would say it wasn't a situation where any of us were yelling at the screen that Mora had to stop it before the, before the stoppage happened. You know, it would be nice if um, Wilder's corner had done it, but, but that was never going to happen. And yeah, I just wanted, you know, it was, a, it was a good handling of a tricky situation that Wilder had put him in, and it was worth uh, worth the warning. Someone who um, who's mostly known for for an absolute shitstorm a decade or so back. And he followed that up with, you know, it was, um, he was refereeing Brandon Figueroa versus Stephen Fulton. And um, that was a fight which was always going to be, there was going to be a lot of clinch work because both of those guys liked to fight in really close. And a lot of referees would have ruined that fight. It's getting better, I would say, boxing. is getting better about allowing the inside fighting a bit more again. But even still, a lot of referees would have absolutely smothered that fight to death. And Mora let it be what it needed to be. And, um, yeah, that was two fights. You know, he had a lot more and he didn't have any bad performance. But that was just two fights where a guy who I have always noted and I, I bitch about him a lot even to this day, did well and I wanted to bring it up so you know fair play to him and um, another guy that I uh, rather unwillingly was giving fair play to and I would again is um, Tunde Ajayi you know um, he just made it. I don't know whether he was made to or not you know maybe Yard said set him an ultimatum like you know I want to be loyal but we need extra help I don't know maybe maybe he did maybe he didn't but basically Tunde Ajayi got out of his own way got out of Anthony Yard's way got them help, got himself help to coach Anthony Yard from James Cook. And look, let's be honest, we don't know yet how much difference this has made. It was a he was fighting Lyndon Arthur. Lyndon Arthur's a good fighter, I like him, but um he has holes in his game and the yard once he made these tiny little adjustments that he made was well primed to exploit them. But you you know, we've been slagging off Tunday and Jai for years and years and years and you know, I don't I don't think he himself is ever gonna be the magnificent coach that he wants himself to be. But it is important to build the right team and he did that. Um for the, at least in Yard's case, in this case, he got himself the help that Yard needed and if you're gonna give him stick you have to give him the credit when credit is due. So I'm gonna, you know, got my. I did this a little bit on the fight week. I'm gonna do it a little bit more now. Um, the other guy I'm gonna give um, is another coach who I'm gonna give credit where credit is due. Because um, Ben Davidson gets a lot of stick, and um, you know some of it is rightful because he does like the attempt. He does like to put himself in the middle of the scene. He does like to talk himself up. He's a very uh, keen self-promoter, and I understand why that irritates people. Especially since the things he himself is saying, he's not wrong. He's rarely ever wrong. It's just that, uh, you know, this is an edgy thing for me to talk about because I'm sort of a complete amateur here. But um, when Ben Davidson talks about boxing, he's imparting truths but not deep wisdoms. And when he, you watch him coach his fighters, maybe you think, you know, they're getting a shallow level of care. I don't know. But what he's done, again, um, no matter how big his ego seems to be in talking himself up in public he's built himself a fantastic team behind the scenes um, with Lee Wiley and a bunch of others I'll mention Lee because um, we know each other a little bit like Twitter Twitter boxing knows Lee um, and Ben Davidson just put together this team he's not let whatever ego he has get in the way of that he has to be the biggest person in the room telling all his boxers everything and um, he's been 
very successful. You know, people keep talking about how Davidson, he takes over fighters who are already complete and then he gives them a bit of fitness training and then they carry on winning. But that's not necessarily been the case this year. Like, he's had a few fighters. He's had Lee McGregor and he's had um, he's had others that are, you know, then he's not taking them from necessarily from the amateurs. But he's taking, he's starting to take on fighters, you know, who are earlier in the careers. He's got uh, Lee McGregor, he's got um, Shabazz Massoud. And um, he picked up Laywood. He's not early in his career, but he um, he needed. Uh, I say he picked up. You can talk about the connection to MTK. That's a subject for a whole other conversation, which I'm not sure I'm qualified to have. It's definitely not qualified to have it with myself. Um, just talking about fighter for fighter. He's ta- he's this year. He's had several successes with fighters who. Well, Lee McGregor is expected to have quite enough success, but he's changed his style considerably under Davidson. And um, but I think the real notable achievement, coaching achievement, was um, Lee Wood against um, Xukan. I apologise if I ruined that two-syllable name, but um, yeah, Wood isn't wasn't considered a world-level fighter. I mean, not by me, and really not by anyone. I mean, I, I got this wrong, so I have to hold my hands up. Maybe others expected more. Um, I did expect more of Can, but um, but Leywood, Leewood, my apologies. Um, he was just better than he had the perfect game plan. He just did everything pinpoint that he needed to do, and these were things that he wasn't doing before he joined up with with Davidson. So clearly, something in that camp is working for his fighters, and he's not just taking over finished fighters. And yeah, so if you're going to talk about Coaches, you know, I'm not going to name him for coach of the year. That that, that would probably be Renault. So um, you could also mention um, um, Grant Smith, um, who is Sonny Edwards' coach, um, and uh, he also coaches his son, um, Dalton Smith. That was foolish of me. Uh, Dalton Smith, who you will be hearing about in a few years, I think, as a rising British prospect. But that's probably too soon for Grant Smith in coach of the year conversations. You know, you're probably talking about Eddie Renault. So. Or um, and this is a shameful gap in my knowledge because I don't know anything about the Japanese side. The uh, really the uh, any of the coaches in Asia, I really just know about um, America, Britain, and a little bit in Europe. So the uh, um, the Asian side of coaching is I don't know any of them, and I'm sure, especially the fighters coming out of Japan, there must be some magnificent coaches that we just don't know about. And maybe that's something I have to think about in 2022. Finding out who coaches who and, uh, you know, who is Eddie Reynoso's rival for best coach of the year. But, yeah, Ben Davidson did well. Props. I am taking a notably British slant. Listen to my accent. Stop complaining. Um, Moving on. Okay, let's talk about fights. Which fights were the best? Well, um, the early, I think for me, I'm... I won't name it. I'm not going to pick a fight of the year per se because there were different fights that did different things well. But the one with the highest level of skill, most consistently going back and forth between the two was, I think, pretty unquestionably the rematch between Estrada and Chocolatito. And I mean, I got this one wrong. I thought Estrada was going to dominate because I thought Chocolatito, even though he looked good against Yafai, a little while before that, I thought he was going to be, you know, more faded, and um, and he wasn't. And Chocolatito did uh, 
he had a case for winning. I scored it for Estrada both times. We had this big discussion on the fight site. Um, I know um, our man Oli is a uh, vehement, vehement that it was a robbery. I don't think it was. I think that's very harsh. Um, you can give it to Chocolatito, but I think you can give it either way. And I, you know, I'm saying that because I did both times that I watched it. Um, yeah, if you're interested in the ins and outs of the scoring, then um, we did a the fight site did a little round table and round by round scoring of myself, Oli, and um, Dan Albert um, sat down and um, basically scored the fight all three of us um, on a second or third watch. And we managed to get it. I scored it to Estrada, Oli scored it to Gonzalez, and Dan scored a split. So clearly a close fight. Um, but just for the level of talent on display and the level of back and forth, you know, the, these are two of the, these are two of the most skilled boxers of the last generation. I say last. They're still fighting. They're both kind of winding down. But they're still yeah. Anyway, there there are unbelievably skilled fighters and um you know, unlike the other unbelievably skilled fighters, your Canelos and your Usyks and your Crawfords and whoever, who they all had good years. They all had, you could probably say, a lot of them had better years than these two did because they only fought each other once. But they were fighting each other and the level of skill was uh, just outrageous. If you haven't seen this fight, go and watch it. Um, yeah. Um, Chocolatito is the greatest combination. Well, you know, he's the best combination fighter of the last decade for sure, maybe. You know, it's hard to say for beyond that, but um, he's one of the greatest volume punches really ever. Estrada is a... He's a more of a all-rounder, um, which isn't to say that Gonzalez can't all-round, he just doesn't. But um, Estrada's more of an all-rounder, in and out. Uh, sort of... He throws a volume. He's... Um, He's got a little bit of one male Marquez about him, but a little bit more. Oh, I'm not going to say rounded, but um, he's more capable of pressing when he needs to, which he didn't really need to in this fight because he's fighting um, Gonzalez. So I don't know what to roll it up. Just, you know, watch the fight. If you haven't seen the fight, watch it. Decide whether you think it was a robbery or not. Hope for the rematch, the three match, um, which would be the. Uh, so the rubber will split the split the tire that they've got one one going on. Superb fight. Obviously the other fight that was been in the running for fight of the year is um Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. Um I think what takes away from that is obviously there was a massive gulf in natural skill and also that it was pretty one sided apart from the two knockdowns on Fury. But for drama, you know, if you're watching boxing for the drama, which we all I think are, um it's not just going to be hard to beat this year, but really any year. It's It was just uh, so much theatre. There's so much, you know, Wilder's right hand is always a... He's always got you on the edge. And Fury was battering him. And, you know, we did the, we did a whole podcast about this again. This is all stuff I've talked about, um, which does tell you that the year... Well, it's some recency bias, but also tells you the year closed them strong. That or a lot of the stuff is since I started talking about it on podcasts. But um, yeah, that fight was just um, super. The other fight that I wanted to kind of mention, even though I mentioned it when I talked about Troy Williamson, so I'm not going to really talk about it a lot. But um, yeah, watch Troy Williamson versus Ted Cheeseman because, um, as I said then, Ted Cheeseman is always in good fights and Troy Williamson is looking like he might be that kind of fighter too. That was a fantastic back and forth fighter of two guys. You know, they're not 
they're not they're not they're not Floyd Mayweather. They're not um, Roberto Duran, but they're they're good fighters. They're, this is the thing that I love about British level. It brings together these fighters that are maybe not gonna blow up the world stage, but they have a platform to show their skill and show some us some magnificent back and forth wars. And yeah, we got that. Um, other fights that I want to mention: Jim Melchano versus Brian Castano, which um, I will say that this one was probably a robbery. That um, Castano deserved to win. It ended up a draw with one ridiculous card given in Charlo's direction. But it was a fun fight and definitely worth your time watching. You know, one of those... Um, when I watched it, I had a lot to critique Charlo about and um, that ended up being the thread of my conversation about it. Um, it was just... Um, was it, did I do a Twitter? Yeah, I did a Twitter thread of this, but it wasn't, you know. But it is, it, so maybe may have, made it, may have made it sound in one more... More one-sided than it was, you know. It was a it's a good fight. Watch it, yes, you know. Um, hope we get a rematch. Um, and yeah, that uh, that segues me not entirely neatly, but um, let's talk about uh, other things that I liked during the year. Um, you know, trends that uh, that were good, and one of them was quite simply that uh, champions are fighting each other to the point that we had three. Unification, we had three fights for undisputed title. Charlo vs. Castano was one of them. It's the only one that didn't rely, uh, didn't end in an actual, uh, in a unification because they drew. Two were obviously, um, one of them was Canelo versus, uh, Plant that unified the, um, the super middleweight division. Um, and then we had Josh Taylor beating Jose Ramirez for the, um, title at 140 so that was um it's just like the last few years and it's still going on this whole politics boxers not wanting to fight each other blah 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 there's a lot of that going on in the at 135 which should be one of the best divisions and even then we got some good fights but they just we had three three separate occasions where the last two remaining champions in division fought each other for the for all the belts and long may that trend continue that oh long may that keep happening it's just uh you know fantastic to see um i don't know if covid i don't know if covid made people realize that uh they need to get shit done quickly because you never know when it's all going to fall apart i don't know if that had an effect or if it's just an effect of a uh, the influence of people like lomachenko and the like of um just, you know, fighting for legacy. And that was, you know, Lenin Lomachenko had his comeback. He he lost to uh, Tiafimo Lopez last year. He had his comeback this year. Well, yeah, anyway. Um, other things that I enjoyed. Um, this is more of a, you know, international fights have always happened. But there's been more attention. This is just an internet thing, really. People talk about it more. It gets more... Um, gets more attention but also I would say um, there have been a few promoters and uh, managers and stuff and networks that are more international fights have been you know put together available I'm talking you know fights where you wouldn't necessarily get broadcast in Europe or England I mean, okay sometimes you have to cheat to see them either some of the Japanese fights and shit but um, like zone is putting on a lot of good fights and um they're building this big network and, um, you know, MTK, like, again, there's a whole conversation to be had about the legitimacy, uh, as a, you know, given who backs them, but, um, 
as a boxing promotion. They put together and give opportunities for fighters coming from places that don't necessarily get big opportunities on the world stage. And um, because the, because those two have been doing that, I think others have had to. You know, ESPN have had to join in a bit. Um, Frank Warren has, you know, not he's British focused, but he brings in occasionally. You know, brings in fights from abroad. Uh, he tried to do that with Box Nation, not make himself the hub for international fights. It didn't work out for him. Um, but yeah, it's just been a neat trend of just you know. It, you could sit down. I could sit down a few weeks ago uh, and watch Uzbekistan uh, fight on the zone, and any you know anyone who had. I think it was in every country on the zone. I could be wrong there, but apart from presumably, well, I don't know if the zone is. If I don't know if Uzbekistan Uzbekistan has the zone, um, but yeah, I think every fight, every country that has the zone got that fight got that night and you know just that kind of thing it's cool it's cool it's a, it's a nice trend and I hope that, you know for boxing fans it's fantastic you know, you know you can complain about this or that network not working with each other but um, what this does and this is I think maybe something I'll do a full on podcast about one day is that um, is boxing is still heavily uh, dominated by access and this kind of thing just means it just means that access is easier for people from outside the usual routes. And that is a fantastic trend for boxing, to be quite honest. Like even this year, just to give, give a throwaway example, um, Montana Love, he has been booting around in America, around the regional scene, around where he lives for a while, and he just wasn't getting any attention. And then he fought, he was brought in to fight uh, Barantric, Ivan Barantric, on the undercard of um, Wardley versus Logan Paul. For the first one, because you know they fought twice, fantastic. Let's have a trilogy. But he was brought in to fight um, Balanchuk in that, just basically because he lives there. He's from Cleveland, basically. That's that's how that fight happened, and he won that fight. And suddenly he's on a big stage, and he goes on and he fights. Um, let me have a quick look who he who his next fight was. He fought Carlos Diaz. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago, actually, um, on the. Yeah, he fought on the David Haney card. David Haney card. David Haney versus Jojo Diaz. He fought on that card, and suddenly he's you know he's not gonna he's not gonna be the next PVP superstar. But suddenly he's in in contention. He might get a world title fight next year, and that would never have happened if he didn't live in Cleveland. It just complete fluke, and that that was in America. That that was you know one of the most developing boxing market developed boxing markets in the world. It still happens in England, you know. Um, there are fighters who don't get opportunities until they sign with the right management or promoter until they turn out to be really good. You know, British level sometimes, or in a world level, fighters tend to be quite earlier, but even, you know, there might be guys there. And the, the, these are the most developed boxing markets. And you look at other boxing markets in Central Central Asia, in Central Europe, Central Asia, even, I mean, um, South America, some of them, in Africa, I mean, Africa's a huge problem. Um, in terms of the fighters getting the chances that they deserve. Anyway, I don't want to make the podcast about this. That's that's going to have to be some kind of special edition. I maybe I can put together. You know, I, I can't promise, but uh, hopefully I can do something. The point is, this design trend of putting together. In the, I said design. This trend of design and other uh, other guys putting together these cards or international cards and putting them on for us to view is it's good for us as boxing fans, but it's great for these fighters to find paths 
to the world titles that don't involve moving to Canada and getting signed by some dodgy promoter and disappearing for five years. So that that, that was a great trend that I enjoyed. Um, uh, we have to talk about knockout of the year. There's a lot of good knockouts. Um, recently by us, I, I liked... Um, I liked... Conor Ben knocking out Chris Algieri very much. That was a lovely one too. But um, early in the year, Ryan Garcia versus um, versus Luke Campbell um, knockout, body shot knockout. That was a uh, excellent. Um, yeah, you know I'm. Uh, I don't want to make myself sound uh, some arty party guy. I don't. I haven't remembered all the knockouts. I just didn't have the. You know, there wasn't. I think there wasn't a knockout this year that really made me go. I'm gonna remember this forever. So um, yeah, I mentioned a couple that I like. Um, there were a lot of good ones. I'm sure you have your own opinions. I'm not gonna spend ages just talking about them because um, you know, there's nothing that made me. Uh, well, there was one knockout that did make me jump out of my seat, and that moves me on to another subject entirely because um, it was a good knockout. It was an incredible moment for a guy that we, you know, we quite like, of Kike Martinez. No one expected him to be a world champion again. He fucked Kid Galahad up. He fucked him up, and that that was one of those moments. You know, that was maybe I should have mentioned earlier in the program, whatever. Um, yeah, he. Uh, that was one of those uh, the shock moments, the feel good moments of the year. Unless you really like Kid Galahad, but not many people do. Um, you know, would you respect him as a fighter? And he is a good fighter, and he was winning that fight, and he got sloppy, and he got clocked at the end of... Was it round five? He got clocked at the end of the round. Clearly hadn't recovered in the corner and got knocked Sparko at the beginning of the next one. Uh, yeah, that's one of those things boxing are made of, and Clique Martinez is suddenly a world champion again. It's, you know, no one, This isn't an unitedness situation where we think, okay, he's going to go on a run now. I, I don't think anyone believes that. I doubt even Kiko Martinez really believes that in his heart of hearts. But um, but he's got he's got another lease of life. Like yeah, lovely moment. I'm going rambly now, so I need to start wrapping up because I've been talking for forty five minutes and I'm starting to fall apart a little bit. So let's move on. You know what we're going to do? We're going to move on to... We've been celebrating the year, but let's move on to some dickheads. Let's talk about some people who fucked up in uh, in 2021 in boxing. And, um... Yeah, there's going to be a... F- there's a few. One that basically sticks in my brain from recently. There's been a, a bit of a referee in Palava. Um, there, were, there were two recently. The one that, uh, that he most easily comes to mind is Steve Gray versus... Um, in Hamza Shiraz's fight versus versus Bradley Skeet, where he just let him hit him on the ground a number of times and then gave a point deduction, yada, yada, yada. The British Boxing Board of Control just kind of went, yeah, he fucked up, whatever. Um, so no punishment for Steve Gray there. I hope he has a long, hard look at himself. That was bad. Um, and then he also had, also recently, was it the same weekend? I think it was the same weekend, was... Um, Salvador Salva, that's his name. I just had this open. Let me have a look. Yep, Salva's the Salva, Spanish referee who um, completely fucked up the Uzbek. Uh, the headline of the Uzbek card I was just talking about um, Israel Madrimov versus Michel Soro, um, where he let Madrimov knock Soro out after the end of the round. And, uh, you know, that wasn't as egregious a mistake. Like I said on my um, review of the week that week, but 
it was still still not not great referee. I'm gonna give him a little bit of a dickhead points for that. Other dickheads in this year. Yeah, let's talk about Sonny Edwards. Yeah, let's not. Sonny Edwards knows what he's doing on Twitter. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. He's a good guy. I just don't agree with everything he says. That's basically it. Um, boxing dickheads. Roddy Romero for, um, you know, he got himself a completely undeserved fight with Javonta Davis and then lost it when just before he came out and there came out a number of allegations about him groping women and trying to force them to give him blowjobs and shit like that and he got dropped from the fight so that makes him a dickhead but you can give additional dickheads because he was fighting Javonta Davies and you've got to be like who's I'm not saying Romero should have fought what I'm saying is there's a bit of a double standard where Romero got pulled for that but Javonta Davis who was on tape strangling his girlfriend you know committing domestic violence has coasted on with his career and this is the thing you know boxing has to deal with and I mean, it's not only boxing. Every sport has to contend with one or two twats hitting their girlfriends and wives. But like, how soon we forgot? So maybe it makes us the dickheads for forgetting that Javonta Davis is a dickhead. And you know, this this decision it was weird. It was I just didn't like it. But yeah, Ronnie Romero, he was a dickhead before he got called. Uh, he got pulled up pulled up on this, and he's a dickhead now. So you know, Ronnie Romero, fuck you. Um, other dickheads. You know what, maybe, maybe I've just forgotten, maybe I'm having some kind of brain flame up, but it seems to have been quite a low-key year for massive fucking dickheads. It was a, you know, there's been some low-key fucking around here and there, but, um, you know, there wasn't any Billy Joe Saunders being, uh, you know, getting a random, getting a crackhead to slap a guy because he claimed he was a paedophile, or Billy Joe Saunders getting his son to punch uh, his opponent in the dick or um, you know Billy Joe Saunders Billy Joe Saunders only fought once so there wasn't that much uh, to, to be dickheaded about but you know none of the usual suspects I don't think really sprang out with anything it was just like you know even even Wilder you know his big dickheadery was last year it was just a sort of this this year was a sort of continuation of it it was just, yeah it was it was a uh, it's a good year for boxing, lads. And with that, I'm going to maybe wrap up with uh, something I did mention when I talked about it a few years ago. But, you know, I've been talking about dickheads. So let's I've, so let's wrap up with something the opposite. Um, and I did mention at the start of the episode. But um, let's wrap up by mentioning Nito Donaire translating for Raymond Cabello. Um, at their press conference because he's more fluent in English and um, was able to translate Cabello's comments to the press before their fight. That was a lovely touch of... Okay, I'm going to throw it out there. He didn't have the most impressive performances of the year. He wasn't. Uh, he didn't have a win of the year, but uh, I'm going to make Nonito Donaire my fighter of the year because he's fucking awesome. And I dare you to fucking disagree. And on that, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. And uh, I don't know when the next one and we hopefully I'll have one next week. But there isn't any actual boxing to talk about this weekend, so it won't be a review of the weekend. So we'll see what I come up with. Maybe I'll do a special episode of some some shit. See you next time. Enjoy 2022. Read all our stuff on the fight site or follow us on Twitter. You know, listen to all our other podcasts if you don't already. 
Um, yeah. Have a good one. See you next time.